welcome to Bulls Gold on Nothing But Net Radio, a part of Dash Radio on July 6, 2020. I'm Edward Schuler, joined as always by Salim Sudawala. Salim, how's it going today? It's going well, Edward. Just enjoyed my long weekend and uh, getting ready to kind of wind this, get this week started for the most part. Absolutely, absolutely. That's good to hear. And joining us for this episode, he covers the Sacramento Kings for the Sacramento Bee. We're going to talk this episode a little bit about the Sacramento Kings and kind of transition into some stuff about the Chicago Bulls rebuild under Arturis Karnasovas and Mark Eversley. But joining us today is Richard Ivanowski. Richard, thank you for joining us, man. Of course, man. Glad to be here. Uh, I like the podcast. I had Salim on um, mine and Brandon Nunez's Kings podcast, Kings Pulse. So um, I like doing these sort of home and homes. Awesome. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. It. It, was definitely, it was definitely a good time coming and uh, talk to you guys as well. So, yeah, I appreciate you joining us. Yeah, no doubt. So, Richard, the one thing – so, to start, let's talk a little bit about where the Sacramento Kings are right now. So, I know in the past the Kings have had a, a lot of issues and they've always kind of been the butt of jokes with, like, their their different builds and their different versions of the team. But it seems now they're finally, like, swinging in the right direction. And, I mean, they, they have some good talent with uh, De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Hield. Uh, Bogdanovich. I mean, there's a lot of good talent there. Marvin Bagley. What's what do you think is the reason that the Sacramento Kings have finally start to like started to swing in that right direction and at least give fans a little bit of optimism uh, heading into the future for his team? You know, honestly, I think it's as simple as Darren Fox. Um, there are some other guys on this team that give you something, but he yields an incredible shooter like truly you know top five top ten shooter in the league um Bogdan Bogdanovich is an interesting guy and definitely very useful deserving of a starting job in my opinion but those aren't guys that are going to change the fortune of your franchise De'Aaron Fox could be that guy he took a really incredible jump last year from his first to second season I'm sure um you know everyone in the basketball world knows that um, but I think that he's really, you know, without, without that jump, I think this team is still you know, bottom of the basement. Let's talk about deer and Fox. I was kind of surprised as far as not surprised this season, but it's, I've been surprised, like as far as his name being brought up, as far as when you look at the other young point cards in this league. And I feel like he doesn't get the same respect and, and that he does. Like when you look at guys like John Morant, uh, Shy uh, Gil uh, Gilcrest. Um, I can't remember his uh, Alexander Gilcrest. Uh, and then there's a couple other young point guards out there that I feel like Darren Fox has as much potential as any of those guys. And I don't, I don't really see his name mentioned with them as much anymore. I don't know if that's something to do with because he's in just in a in, a, in Sacramento that doesn't get a lot of uh, attention. Or like, do you do you like do you get what I'm saying? Like, I don't. I just feel like he doesn't get as much credit as he should. Yeah, for sure. Um, the two guys you mentioned there, in John Morant and and Shea, uh, Shea uh, SGA. I just call him SGA to avoid the <laughs> all the different names. But uh, 
Yeah, I, they're actually both on smaller market teams as well with Memphis and OKC, but I think they've got more around them. And that kind of gets back to what I was saying where it's just kind of Fox and, and a lot of like pieces, right? Um, you know, Memphis has other really exciting players. They got Jaron Jackson Jr. who's been doing much better than Marvin Bagley, for example, on the Kings. OKC has guys like Chris Paul, uh, you know, Danilo Gallinari still tearing it up and like, you know, they're in the playoffs, that type of stuff. So, um, you know, I, I think that it's not only a small market thing, but it's just that he doesn't have a second star to to play off of. Because I do think that if Marvin Bagley were outplaying Jaron Jackson Jr. right now, it would be a different story. So you have De'Aaron Fox and you have a lot of pieces around him. So with this front office, Vlade Divac is, is still in charge, right? And is there is there an, an organizational philosophy right now going on in the front office that really makes you feel confident that they can maximize De'Aaron Fox as a potential like franchise talent? Because I think one of the things that we're looking at with the Bulls right now with this regime change is we're exiting a period where there were a lot of flaws, there were a lot of mistakes, there were a lot of whiffs, and it felt like the front office didn't really have a grasp on the direction that a modern front office should be taking in today's league. So how is Sacramento going to be embracing that to build the right type of team around De'Aaron Fox? To be quite honest with you, I think the confidence in the front office is extremely low. Um, Outside of that Darren Fox pick, I think this team has had a lot of disasters, obviously passed on Luka Doncic. Um, There's just been a lot of whiffs like you're talking about with the Bulls and like the Bulls are making changes. The Kings are not. Um, I do not have a lot of confidence in them. They've done well with uh, some contract management. Uh, building in a lot of non-guarantees on the back ends of deals. Uh, Ken Catanella is a really smart money guy in the front office, but as far as the main players and yeah, Vlade Divac, my confidence, a great player, uh, icon in Sacramento. Don't personally don't think he's, he's best for the job. There's been, you know, a lot of discussion that he should move into more of a figurehead role and some of the people closest to the team that have been covering the team for a long time thought that's always how it should have been. He should have been, you know, president of basketball ops, but have someone else kind of do the, do the job, the make the picks, make the trades. Going into the, this playoff push coming up for the Kings, what are your expectations for them? Like, do you expect to see maybe uh, Marvin Bagley start, uh, maybe get a more consistent role as a starter or maybe see, Darren Fox, example, maybe take another uh, leap as a leader even. Uh, what are your expectations overall? Um, you know, I don't have a lot of ex- expectations for Bagley. He played only 13 games this year, um, and he didn't look great in, in really any of them. I actually tweeted about this yesterday that the Sacramento Kings have never won a game where Marvin Bagley started. They're 0 and 10 in those. So certainly don't see him in the starting lineup. Um, you know, Fox has an ability to take over the game, but that's kind of been the main the main complaint, I'd say, from fans is that he doesn't do that enough. So 
while it's possible that he just takes over and, and pushes the Kings to a play-in series against the, the Grizzlies or maybe the Pelicans, I'm, I'm not banking on it. So I, w- I wanted to get back to something you just said where you mentioned that Vlade Divac would probably be better off as more of a figurehead, in a sense, more of a president of basketball operations. Kind of like, well, I mean, would it be fair to say just even just as a an advisor, like a senior advisor? Because that's what we're kind of dealing with right now with John Paxson as he didn't get fired but he transitioned into a a senior advisory role uh, in the organization. And a lot of fans feel like this is a move that should have happened a long, long time ago. Maybe it was five, six or seven years uh, overdue. So like, how do you deal with that? Like, how, how does the team deal with that where they have someone in Vlade Diva who you said has made some mistakes with, you know, they, they didn't uh, draft Luka Doncic and they have this this really good promising player in De'Aaron Fox against some really uh, solid surrounding pieces, I think, in, in Buddy Hield and Bogdanovich. But like how long does that last for a team where they they have someone running the show who really shouldn't be before they realize, OK, we need to like take advantage of this right now before. I mean, we waste we we waste the talent that's on this team. Yeah, and I don't know. Um, it's that's the thing with this team is that if it were ran by really smart people, I think it already would have been done. So it's hard to know if and when that'll really happen. Mm. Um, it's strange because the Kings are just like a very incestuous franchise. Like they they hire within themselves. A, you know, Vlade just hired Luke Walton as the new coach. He played with Luke Walton. Um, we got Vlade obviously played for the Kings in their glory days. He's the GM. Peja Stojakovic is the assistant GM. Uh, it, it's Bobby Jackson as a coach. Like, it's all former Kings players. It's, there's always that joke. Uh, we know Chris Webber is going to have some position, or it was reported that he's likely to have some position with the team coming up. So, it's always this joke of like, you know, whoever the next coach and GM, it's just, it's got to be a former Kings player. <laughs> I mean, it, it sounds it's, just it's, like the Bulls. Yeah, <laughs> I was, was just going to say, it sounds so funny saying all this stuff. That that was basically the Bulls uh, under the John Paxson and Gar Foreman era. And basically how Jerry Reinser, for the most part, has always operated. Uh, he once said he had a list of play- people that, he wanted to, you know, at what one point or another become a GM or a scout or something at part of the organization. They were all like friends of his or people that were players of the of the team in the past. So it's funny that you that you mention how the Kings operate and uh, the Bulls operate a lot similarly. And it, and in and in a weirdly ironic way. They also the Bulls also kind of operate at times like a small market team, and the Kings are a small market team. So it's there's so many similarities between the Bulls and and and, and the Kings as far as the team and how they their their previous ownership, not previous ownership, I should say previous uh, front office operated, and the struggles and going forward with the young players and trying to develop them. There's just so many similarities there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll say I really like the Bulls. Like as a franchise, not necessarily the roster, although I do kind of as well. I'm more talking about like the franchise 
uh, in the big picture, I'm, I'm very fond of the Bulls. Um, they obviously have some great history, but I am kind of drawn towards underdogs and teams that have struggled. Um, I think they're a very easy team to root for. And yeah, I definitely like, you know, I'm a Kings fan. So I think it's understandable why you could like uh, uh, both these teams. Like, I, I feel like there are similarities. And unfortunately, some of those similarities are in the negatives, you know, in the things they struggle with. But uh, the Bulls are a very likable team to me. So so what are what are some things you don't like about this roster? Because there are a lot of Bulls fans who and, and I, I don't disagree with them, but there are a lot of Bulls fans who like the pieces here and believe that this team, if they can get the right head coach, maybe a lot of the talent that is here can be maximized a, a little bit more efficiently. So what, what do you not like about the current Bulls roster? So I wasn't trying to say that I actively dislike it, just mm. more that that's not what attracts me to them. Mm. Um, I will say there are a lot of pieces that I do like, uh, especially the youngest guys. I'm a big fan of Wendell Carter. Uh, I like Kobe White a lot. I The thing about the roster that bothers me the most, and this is probably going to be a hot take, I would guess, um, to most Bulls fans, is I'm, I'm not a Zach Levine guy at all. Ah, okay. Yeah, that's that that that's definitely uh, a, a a big uh, argumentative uh, point against the amongst Bulls fans. Where are you guys at on him? Like on being a number one option for the team? Is that like are you, are you with that? Is that going to work long term, or do you see that see him being like a number two guy later on, or or what's the hope for for him with with your team? I, I personally think that he's more likely a number two or three. Um, he now granted Zach has exceeded my expectations of him, uh, continuously. I, I'm even surprised that he's become this of a high, high volume efficient scorer that he has, uh, in a multifaceted way, as far as being able to get to the basket with the shooting, um, even all over the court. He has, a, he pretty much has a solid offensive game all over the court. Uh, obviously playmaking is something that he needs to improve on. And I think we've seen a little bit improvements, but not where it needs to be necessarily. But like I said, as far as what he's done so far, he's exceeded my expectations. He's a very hard worker too. Uh, he's always he's he pretty much has the reputation of a gym rat. So, in regards to Zach as being a number one, I will be very surprised if that ever happens. But I, like I said, I see him more as a two or three. I think Zach is more of a victim of circumstance in the sense that it feels like every rebuild has that one player who can score the ball a lot and there's always a debate of oh can this team win a championship or or whatever with this guy taking this many shots uh i I remember way back I, i can't remember what the king's record was but you think of someone like kevin martin back in the day kevin martin was a really good scorer right and I, th- I think he eventually got traded. But I remember like Kings fans talking about whether or not Kevin Martin could really be like a, a good piece on a team long term. I mean, there's there's other examples I can think of. But when I look at Zach Levine, it's it's such a gray area because I think he's a good player. And I think he is already an all star caliber offensive player. But it there, there's two things you have to look at. One it's, it's 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 really difficult to get a player better than Zach Levine when you are when you have the reality of the current Chicago Bulls, where 
free agents don't want to go there and you don't have that draft luck to really draft a, a star like a Zion or maybe even a Doncic. like you're not getting that high in the draft. So you're, you're struggling to find a player better than Zach Levine. And then the other part of it is that Zach Levine has two years left on this contract that I, I, ironically, the Sacramento Kings signed him to and the Chicago Bulls matched, but he has two years left where he is currently very affordable. He's a bargain. And you look at players across the league that are similar, like a Jamal Murray, and Jamal Murray's making like 30 something million dollars a year. Like Zach Levine is significantly underpaid. When he hits free agency, I think he's going to get more, much more money. The problem is the Chicago Bulls are not currently in a situation where they can make great use of how underpaid Zach Levine is. So assuming the Bulls, if they're going to be, are they going to be a playoff team next year? I don't know. But if they suck again next year, then you have one year left of Zach Levine. How do you maximize? Like, I just don't know how you maximize it. So it's, it really is a conundrum because you have a good player who isn't a number one, but could be a good number two or number three, but then you also don't really have a way to make use of what he is right now, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's definitely tricky. I I agree with pretty much everything you're saying. Um, he is kind of like that guy that's going to get you get you buckets, but it's a question of, you know, if you could really win with him. That's definitely been a case for a lot of Kings guys like uh, – Marcus Thornton, uh, little buckets as he was called in Sacramento is the classic case of that. And I would honestly say even like DeMarcus Cousins yeah. kind of is in that same mold of like, all right, this guy is going to be an all-star like, or at least borderline. Uh, but can he get you to the playoffs? Maybe not. And that's tough. Like you're absolutely right. I would say like the only solution to that is finding a team that needs a floor raiser like Levine. So just a, there are teams out there that just straight up don't have that guy, don't have that Kevin Martin, don't have that DeMarcus Cousins type guy um, that could use Zach Levine to come in and just average 20, 25 points, points a night um, and put some butts in seats, that type of thing. And, and those teams are out there. I think you could probably – you're not going to get a better player. Mm. You're, you're not. You're right about that. But maybe you try to find a piece that fits uh, you know, a starter-level guy and then, you know, some sort of future asset uh, lottery pick and a, you know, in a kind of lower end starter, something like that. I know that's tough because just like the Kings, it's, you know, returning to the playoffs is it feels like the goal. It feels like the number one goal. But then you also got to think like, OK, well, if we make the eight seed, seven seed for one or two years, is that really worth it? Yeah, there's a lot of conflicting goals here because it's. We we even though we like Zach Levine, we still don't even know if Zach Levine can be the best player on a playoff caliber team. So I think Bulls fans look at it like, okay, we do want to make the playoffs, we do want to be appealing to free agents, but at the same time, can you do that if Zach Levine is taking 20, 25 shots a game? I mean, right now his usage rate, I think it's like 31% or something like that. Even Kobe White last year had a really high usage rate for a rookie. So like like for me at least, one of the one of the questions I have about this team is even though I like the players, 
can these players succeed with the current build that they are that they're kind of trapped well not really trapped with but that they've been trying to uh construct a team with like can you win with Levine White Lowry Markinen I mean a, a lot of players who need shots right yeah, it's it's a very good question, and the Kings are in the same place. This these teams are actually like a lot in the same place in a lot of ways. Like, um, yeah, I mean, I forgot about the fact that the Kings offered that, uh, gave that offer sheet to Levine, and then I know they were going after a small forward at the same time. And as a, a Kings analyst, I was advocating for Otto Porter. Ended up with Harrison Barnes, which I think worked out a little bit better. Uh, especially with the injury stuff, definitely with injury stuff. But um, I remember wanting Porter a little bit more. And uh, so like that was a similar path that you guys took there as well. You know, got a promising big man that's like struggling to put it all together, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. with Lowry. And, you know, Bagley's kind of that for the Kings. I'm higher on Lowry myself. But, yeah, these teams are having the same types of struggles. Speaking of Lowry, I know you've been intrigued by him and you just mentioned that you think he has potential. What what were your expectations of him overall as far as not even coming into the league and as last season, what did you expect from him and what do you see from him going forward maybe? I'm really high on Larry Markkinen. Um I, you know, I, I think that he's had this down year and I tend to blame it on the coaching staff. Um I I feel like you guys will agree with me on that, but you know, having a big guy that can really shoot it, and and I think he can really shoot it, um, as well as you know, he's got I mean, he's got a lot of skills, but like that's the differentiator in the modern game is like if you're going to be a seven footer and you've got a legit three point shot, the sky is really the limit for you. So I expect him to turn it around. I expect him to get back up to, you know flirt with 20 points a game in the next few years. And I, that's kind of part of why I wouldn't mind seeing Levine go somewhere else is just, I think that Lowry could do with some more shots. Um, You know, there's questions about defense, but there's questions about defense with every guy in this roster, really. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I was looking at the uh, cap sheet for this team going forward. And, you know, you mentioned the two years left of Levine uh, I kind of wanted to ask you guys about Otto Porter because obviously he's got this big player option next season. I'm assuming he's picking that up. It seems like you guys are going to be stuck kind of for one more year with what you got pretty much. Um, but what do you like? What have you seen from Otto Porter, at, if anything at all? I know he's been hurt a lot. For the most part, as when, when he came first, uh, when we first got him, I thought he looked very aggressive out of norm that he's normally been someone that's more passive and he looked really solid. He looked like he was maybe playing up to what people expected of him when they, when he got that big contract. And then last season was a complete dud. It was just, we're not sure where, where the issues really were. If it was just the bulls medical staff misdiagnosing him, or if there was a situation with Otto just kind of, not wanting to play because maybe he wasn't happy with the situation last season as, as the season went on, but we were expecting a lot more from him. And he was one of the bigger reasons why the Bulls season was kind of a, a sense of failure because obviously Lowry did not play that well, 
but he was Otto was supposed to be at least the, like the third best player on the team that season at the worst. And him coming in, not providing anything, because he was probably supposed to provide a little bit of playmaking because he showed that coming into the season before. He was supposed to provide shooting, uh, which this team is in a drastic need of, a consistent uh, shooter at the wing. And in general, a wing, they need a starting wing overall because there is a lot of question marks with a guy like Chandler Hutchison. And overall, with a guy like uh, Denzel Valentine as well, that he just wasn't cracking the rotation either under Jim Boylan. So, being that those big holes were there, the people we were expecting a lot from Otto Porter, and we were just pretty much disappointed for all those all those uh, factors. Yeah, Otto Otto makes this team better, noticeably better, because as Salim mentioned, the drop-off from Otto Porter to the next wing on the roster is pretty significant, even if Otto Porter is not an all-star. I mean, you go from having a very uh, formidable two-way small forward to someone like Chandler Hudson, who is, isn't bad, but is probably not someone you want to start consistently at this point. So to me, it's it's very conflicting because in a in a world where Otto Porter was healthy and had a good season and just kind of continued off what he did for the Bulls after he was traded uh, to Chicago from Washington in those like what was it, like a month and a half two months if he continued that play into this uh, this past season and was just playing really well you're looking at a scenario where Otto Porter might opt out. And then what do you do? Do you pay Otto Porter a long-term deal? Because you don't really have a small forward. So, in a sense, it's it's weird to say, but this injury was kind of a blessing in disguise because the Bulls really don't know what to do with small forward. They don't they don't have a long-term answer here. And I, I know Bulls fans won't agree with that because I mean Otto Porter's making a ton of money, but if Otto Porter's not here, the difference in cap isn't a, a, like enormous or anything like that. I think you get like what ten million dollars or something like that. So, I mean, I, I just don't know what you do about small forward. It, in a way, Otto Porter comes back. Maybe he plays really well. He'll be in a contract year. He's hopefully he's healthy. But I, I like the trade when it happened, and it it made a difference for the team. It was just really disappointing that last season was basically a wash because he just dealt with injuries, it seemed like, from jump. Like, I, I think he was dealing with it in preseason. They were managing his workload. Yeah, I think that people underrate Otto Porter. I think they similar thing with Harrison Barnes. Like, you know, they get I think they they get overpaid a little bit because it's a there's a lot of scarcity of talent at the position. But when you look at it and you're like, all right how many small forwards like are there better than Harrison Barnes in the league? It's really not that many. And the same thing goes for Otto Porter. Would you guys be like interested in that type of situation? Say uh, like last off season Barnes opted out of a larger player option and signed a longer uh, deal for a little bit less money and declining. So like it was something like four years, 80 with a declining, uh, figures each year would that type of thing ever be interesting to you for just to lock in that position for, with Porter I'd be nervous <laughs> yeah at this point I'll be nervous last offseason if you ask me this I was like oh yeah that would be that would be ideal because of again all the various reasons we kind of hammered out because the Bulls really don't have 
a lot at the wing. They don't have any long-term solutions. And because Autopor is so very fairly young in a sense, he's not, he's not a, he's not granted. He's not a young player, but he's also not really old. He's probably what he's like 25 going at 26. Uh, he's kind of going to be in a situation that again, provides two way player, great shooting, Great, really good defense, high impact. As far as when you look at like a lot of these advanced stats, ESPN does like the RPM, and he's always high on those lists as far as being a guy that affects the game in a positive uh, manner. So at that time, I was thinking like, yeah, I wouldn't mind if he extended, maybe did, did like a twenty million a year deal long term, kind of what uh, Harrison. I think that's what similar to what Harrison Barnes extended to, but. At this point, I would be very nervous if they extended him because, again, his health is a big factor. And then going forward, I'm not sure what the front office wants to do. Are they going to really shake up this roster? Are they rebuilding? I don't know what their where their thought process is. And if we're in a longer rebuild situation, I would rather not have that contract on the books. And, and Richard, you, you made a good point that – a lot of teams that are small market, mid market, we'll just throw the bulls in there anyway because they operate like a small market team a lot of times. But these small market teams, when they're not appealing to free, when they're not appealing to big name free agents or they they struggle coming out on top in trades, they end up paying these type of players like a Harrison Barnes or an Otto Porter. They give them a they give them market value, and as you said. Even though a player like Barnes or Porter may not be all stars, they are competent starting forwards and they can play on both sides of the ball. Harrison Barnes was the starting forward on a championship team, a, a three and D type of wing, and he can guard multiple positions. Same thing holds true with Otto Porter. It's like, yeah, you would rather have Kawhi Leonard or Paul George or or whoever a small forward, but when that is not available to you, you're probably going down a couple of tiers and then you wind up in the Otto Porter, Harrison Barnes sweepstakes because the Bulls didn't give up anything really to get Otto Porter. They gave up cap space and they gave up a second round pick in 2023. So it was practically just a gift because the Wizards were in luxury tax and they needed to get out, and the Bulls were saying, hey, we need to buy a small four. We need to get someone now to to improve this team because we can't sit here and and believe that we can just rebuild the entire roster with draft picks. Like, we got to get vets in here who know how to play. So this is, this is one of the conundrums that teams like the Kings, teams like the Bulls right now, I mean, you could throw other teams in there, Charlotte Hornets, whatever, they struggle sometimes because they have to pay this type of value or at least financially to these players who are solid, but not in the in the big picture of things. They're not like they're not world beaters, right? Yeah, no, definitely not. But I, I think personally, I think it's totally fine to pay a guy like Otto Porter. Mm. The, the problem is the health, like you mentioned. Um, I would definitely be scared, too, but like. If, if health weren't the issue, I would be very much on board, like you guys doing a similar thing with Barnes. Cause like, if you, like you, like you mentioned, if you don't get a Porter or a Barnes, it gets really bad, really quick. Like you can end up with scrubs at, at, on the wing. And that's, 
how you lose basketball games. Yeah. I mean, we, we are small forward before we got Otto Porter with Justin Holiday, and then we signed Jabari Parker to that contract. So, I mean, it after the Bulls lost uh, Jimmy Butler, it was – they're not lost, but they traded him. But after that, it was just kind of – they didn't really have much there. Yeah, it was uh, It was definitely been a, a battle to – find somebody it's been a battle for general even at the point guard has been a battle for since since they traded Derek finding somebody they've decided to stick with random players that they shouldn't have and pass on certain guys like uh, um, a Dinwiddie for example when they had them to almost on their roster technically he wasn't on the official roster because he was part of the summer league team but they ended up waiving him uh, for one reason or another and then uh, again, went the small forward position as well since they traded Jimmy, who was technically, you know, a two, uh, but he played the three as well. And it's just been a situation of, of trying to f- fit, you know, a square peg into a round hole in a sense. So, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting as far as what uh, Karnaschivas does uh, going forward. And speaking of Karnaschivas, what were your thoughts on, on the Bulls? picking him personally i was excited the bulls finally went outside the organization uh but as far as you've done your research on your end on him what what are your thoughts on him and what he could probably uh provide going into this uh, rebuild or however he wants to go with this uh team you know i really i'm gonna have to leave that to you guys i'm not uh an expert on a lot of uh uh, other front offices. Um, so yeah, I'll have to leave that one to you guys, honestly. That's fair enough. So just from a broad sense, and you, you mentioned that you love the bulls, not really because of the current product, but just because of the history of a team. And obviously we saw a lot of that with the uh, last dance documentary, but one of the things that stood out about the uh, last, uh, last dance documentary to me was that, and and this has been a reoccurring problem for this bulls organization is the fact that the bulls have always had so many issues as it comes to player relationships. And I mean, you go back to uh, Jordan, you go back to Pippen, uh, like, even after uh, the dynasty ended, you go to Elton Brand. Uh, they had some issues with Ben Gordon, Luol Dang, uh, Jimmy Butler, Derrick Rose. Like, th- there's always been player relationship issues, and that's why one of the uh, interesting things about this current front office is that they seem to be uh, their goal is to empower the player. We've seen rumors that Zach Levine has been in. Uh, like he's been briefed on some of the uh, discussions that Karnishivis and Eversley are having in terms of what they're going to do with this organization or whatever, coaching changes or whatever. So what do you think about the Bulls prioritizing like player relationships? Like how far can that go to really getting this team back to potentially operating like a big market team again? Yeah, so, I mean, as far as front offices go, like, I'm going to pretty much judge you guys on results, right? I think I'll pretty much judge you based on your results. I honestly don't know for sure, like, when a uh, a new executive is signed, I'm probably not well-versed in their history, but I know that a change is good when, it's, when things have been bad. Like, 
kind of the reverse of the whole, you know, don't fix what's not broken. It's like, no, if something's broken, then change something. And, and so that in itself, I think is a very good sign. Uh, I know that uh, Lori's been, you know, I, I think one of the potential conflicts between the player and the team was with Lori. Uh, there were some rumors that he maybe wanted out or at least wanted a change in his role. And it seems like a really simple way to avoid that is to make changes in the front office. And it does sound like he's, he's all in and, and, you know, wanting to, um, you know, buy back in with that team and make sure that, you know, I think his role will change a little bit. I think he will get, I don't think he's going to be treated just like a spot up shooter anymore. Um, I think he's going to be given a little bit more uh, uh, focus and development on what he can do. Um, I think when you're just on a bad team with a bad coach, with a bad uh, uh, front office structure, that's how player conflicts come up. And, and I, there's the quickest way to fix that is by, by changing that structure. Mm. Yeah, definitely. The, the structure, again, yeah, that's the big factor. When you change that, you can uh, kind of get rid of a losing culture too. Um, with with Laurie, the biggest issue, one of the bigger issues with him is he's very reliant on uh, being set up as far as when it's when he because he can't really create his own offense so i guess with his next development it's going to be where if he can not necessarily create something after dribbling that's something we've talked about often with him but more so even in in a not necessarily low post but even the high post if he can kind of create for himself in a way get a when when he gets a pass in the high post he doesn't shy away from trying to create for himself in there because right now even when he has a guard on him for example he doesn't he doesn't really know what to do and if not if it's necessarily footwork issues or maybe even just a core strength issues uh that's been another kind of a roadblock for him at this point and in, in kind of developing and then not and while i agree that coaching has been a problem with jim boylan i think that He's also kind of held himself back where he's not really been able to develop any type of uh, other offensive move outside of being set up as a shooter and uh, making backdoor cuts and stuff like that. Yeah, no, I, I and I believe in in the pieces on this roster. Um, I do. I, I definitely think that you know you could really add something special in this draft. I know you mentioned bad luck in in the lottery, that sort of thing, but. Um, you know, I mean, there's a decent chance that this team gets a really valuable piece going forward. And that's kind of what I like about this team, too. It's not just the past, but it's the future and it's the combination of the two. I I am excited for a lot of fits um, near the top of my my big board personally on the, in the draft. Like, you know, I, I think the Kings have some issues there where it's like, well, we can't really pick a point guard because we've got Darren Fox there. Uh, you know, we got two shooting guards that are like starting quality with Buddy and Bogey. So it's hard to pick any guard at all. Um, and then like, okay, who fits with Marvin Bagley? Well, nobody really because Bagley can't defend or shoot. So like there's all these problems up and down this roster for the draft. Um, but I think Chicago is in a really nice situation where they're pretty open. Like I think they could pretty much grab any type of player. Um, maybe you avoid – big men a little bit if you feel like Laurie and, and Carter are going to be set there for a long time, but who are the, uh, the prospects that you guys are most excited about looking at? 
Personally, for me, I've looked at guys like uh, Anthony Edwards just because they have high upside, uh, LaMelo Ball, I, and then um, really high also on guys like uh, Denny Avija. Uh, obviously, he solves a long-term fit issue with this team as far as being able to get, finding a guy that can be fit at the three long-term. And then um, outside of that, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out this draft, get a good feel for this draft. I'm not really sure. I know I've... We have a lot of people that we've had on the show in the past that really know a lot about draft, like a Corey Taleba, um, who we've had often, who's really knowledgeable on the draft in general that is high on certain players. But I'm, I'm still trying to figure out myself on who exactly outside of the kind of the guys that I mentioned that would be a really good uh, option. Yeah, and for me, I, I right now, I, I, I don't really – this draft isn't that appealing to me. I feel like it's all over a place. Like I've seen players rank number 10 who on some people's boards are ranked number one. Like it's so, it really is like the ultimate, my guy draft in my opinion. So uh, for me right now, I think LaMelo ball is who I would take number one only because I don't see another guard or wing in this class who has his combination of size uh, passing ability and who I think could be a really elite level lead guard and I, I know all of the things that come with it when you look at the uh, three-point issues I mean the three-point percentages are really bad and of course uh, LeVar Ball comes with that as well so I, I know there's some red flags but it, it's just like at this point I wouldn't really mind taking a chance on LaMelo Ball if we did uh, end up with the number one pick. And then outside of that, uh, as Celine mentioned, Anthony Edwards, I think is an interesting combination of someone who's really athletic, plays hard, uh, can make a, can make difficult shots in his sleep, even though I think that's kind of a, a gift and a curse because it seems like a lot of his offense is built around difficult shots. Uh, Kyra Lewis Jr. is someone who I think is going to pick up a lot of steam at the draft. And, uh, Someone who I think is going to get a lot of increased attention is Devin Vassell from Florida State. Uh, I, I threw on some of his highlights the other day. And uh, granted, I mean, there's just highlights, but he seemed like a player that for a team right now that does not have a clear answer at small forward. He seemed like a small forward that could really bring value on both sides of the ball with his three point shot. Athleticism seems active defensively plays really hard. I, I don't think he completely sucks off the dribble either. And I think he's, he's still young. I think he's like 19 or 20. So he, he seems like a player that when you're, when you're talking about the league valuing wings more, he seems like someone that I'd be really interested in if the Bulls are still around that five, six, seven, or eight area and could potentially be a long-term answer at the position. Maybe give you a little bit of that Otto Porter and Harrison Barnes as we've been as we've been talking about, who, who do you, who do you have as uh, someone that you think would fit this current roster, Richard, in, in terms of the uh, players in this upcoming draft? I think there's a lot of guys. And if I were a Bulls fan, I would be really deep into, into this draft because while it is a weak draft overall, um, a lot of that's based on there not being a, a clear number one guy that feels like he has all NBA type potential, but, I think there's a lot of great options. I mean, you guys are sitting at seventh right now, and that can change. You know, you could get jumped by a few teams. You could end up down at pick eight, pick nine. But you also have a 32% chance of going in the top four. Uh, and I think there's, like, an, a lot of amazing options. Like, you mentioned 
point guard, I, you know, I like Sadoransky. I think he's probably better suited for the bench at this point in his career, but there are options there. I think obviously the mellow ball would be fantastic on this team. I think that's kind of a dream there, but Killian Hayes as well would be amazing. I think you could even put Tyrese Halliburton in that role. Um, and then, yeah, like you mentioned, uh, Vassell and Avdia, those are a couple of guys that could come in and eventually be that long-term three. And right there, you got five guys that I think would be like an amazing upgrade for the Bulls. And and I wouldn't, you know, I would expect at least one of them to be there when, when it's the time for the Bulls to pick. The, the one thing, though, about LaMelo Ball is I don't know how you build a team with him and Zach defensively on the wing. Like, I that could be problematic. I would still do it because I would just figure out like, Hey, just get this talent, figure out the rest later and try and build defense at the other positions. But man, with LaMelo Lowry and Zach, I mean, Wendell would have his, he would have a lot, a lot of stuff going on on the defensive end to cover all of those holes. Uh, Here's your answer, man. Get rid of Zach Levine. (laughs) There you go. There you go. I I, I I know I'm crazy for that, but like I would love to see like uh yeah like Ball or uh, Hayes or Halberton with White uh you know get Porter in there for now get him hopefully he gets back healthy Lowry and and Wendell I think that's not a bad starting five you gotta you can build a nice bench behind that I think that that might actually have some upside yeah especially with Kobe maybe looking more like a combo guard if anything um he might be better suited playing off a of Ball. Uh, as opposed to uh, playing off of Zach, so that that's definitely interesting as well. Yeah. What What do you think about Kobe White, Richard? Uh, he 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 started. He, he was really spotty last season. Like he had, it, it, it seemed like he had like a really big game, and then it was followed up by like six or seven duds. But then, as the season uh, like reached the finish line, it seemed like Kobe White was starting to put it together a little bit. He, he looked a little bit more confident. He was shooting it better. What do you think about Kobe White and his long-term fit with the team? I like Kobe White a lot. I really do. I, I He's one of the guys in this last draft that I'm highest on. Um, I think that he could take a big jump. Uh, I, you know, his game's not like identical to Levine in any way, but I think that if there was a scenario where the team did move on from Levine and tried to get, you know, a small forward for him or starting point guard, something like that. Uh, I think that he could fill that role pretty well. Um, not super high on him defensively. You know, maybe you end up with the same types of problems as you had with Levine, but I can see him being a very prolific scorer. I think he's got nice range. I mean, he shot it pretty well. I, I think that he could, he's a, you know, multi-level player. He could score on three levels. So I, I believe in his shot. Yeah. Yeah, shooting definitely took uh, improvement as the season went along. I think a lot of it came down to his release point uh, off on a lot of the off the dribble stuff. Like on a spot up, it was always consistent, but on his off the dribble and and pull up stuff like that, he his release point became um, smoother, I should say. And I think he was, that's why you saw him kind of break out post uh, all-star break where he had those back-to-back 30-point games and then he just had kind of a blistering march it wasn't simply because he was just shooting hot it was just the improvements in his mechanics and we also did see him get better as a playmaker and and showed improvement defensively so 
I like the fact that he has shown a two-way ability as well as far as being like a two-way player. Yeah, I, I think Kobe White can be a very good piece for his team. I, I don't know what position like he could run point, but he's not a high enough uh, like point guard yet in terms of playmaking to be that. He could be a two, but then at the same time, you're going to be tasked with finding a really high-level facilitator at the point guard position, which is really tough. So I guess theoretically that's where LaMelo Ball could come in if the Bulls have that type of draft look. But yeah, overall, I, I like what Kobe White is is going to do for his team long term. And like we were both, we, we were, we were uh, disappointed, of course, that the Bulls did not get Zion Williamson or Ja Morant. But it, the more you really dove into that draft, it seemed like Kobe White was kind of being underlooked as he was someone that it, it didn't really seem like he was bad at a lot of things. It seemed like he was decent to solid at a lot, at a lot of things and a, a good scorer, someone who could catch and shoot. Like it, it seemed like he was being underrated and he's looks he's looking like a pretty solid piece for this Bulls team. Yeah, for sure. I, I don't think it's out of the question that he ends up, you know, being a borderline top five guy from this draft when it's all said and done. I mean, he's still really young, you know, 20 years old. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah definitely. And one of the big factors that I always picked out is his maturity, just because when you look at a guy like Roy Williams in, in college, he doesn't tend to play freshman players a, a lot. And, and when he does play them, he certainly doesn't start them. So that always stuck out to me. And I will always, uh, wondered like if if something is there to uh, take away from that so I feel like that could play into his development and how how committed he is as far as uh, working on his game and improving going forward yeah absolutely so let me ask you this as well Rich uh, you mentioned Wendell Carter Jr. earlier and how much you liked him and he was a significant part of the Bulls' defensive results last season. I mean, when Wendell, when Wendell Carter Jr. was not in the lineup, the Bulls' defense, it seemed like it tanked. I mean, him and Chris Dunn were just big parts of that, and they were just able to defend the pick and roll well. They they rotated really quickly. He was just such an astronomical part of the Bulls' success on that end. But there also comes the offensive struggles that Wendell Carter has had since entering the league. He hasn't really taken many jump shots. Sometimes it looks like he's a little shy on that end. And it it seemed like in college, he was able to do more offensively, obviously not at high volume, but it seemed like if you put him out behind the three point line, he could take a shot without hesitation and make it. And so far in the NBA, he just really hasn't taken that many threes. So where are you at with Wendell Carter Jr. and how good he can be for his team? Because when I look at him, I see him honestly as the the epitome of the type of player that Arturis Karnishevis wants on this team in terms of being multifaceted and multi-skilled and bringing value on both sides of the floor. What do you see in Wendell Carter Jr.? Yeah, so first off, He's, I think he's a very legitimate defensive player. Like, I think that he could be, you know, arguably, I think he could be the best defensive player on a, com- a very competitive, potentially, you know, deep playoff team. Uh, I think he has that type of defensive upside. And then, yeah, like, <laughs> this has been the thing with Boylan. Like, 
this is the number one complaint I've heard about him. Well, actually, there's been a lot of complaints I've heard about him, but one of them is like he just, from what I've gathered, he just tells Wendell not to shoot it. Like, and you can see it. He will have an open look, and it's almost like he's being told straight up, "Do not take threes." Um, yeah, I mean, he very small sample size in college, but he shot over forty percent from three on over one attempt per game. So, yeah, again, small sample size, but I think he has that skill there. If the next, you know, regime lets him take that, I absolutely think he could be a functional, uh, you know, 35% type of guy on low volume. And that's, that's a really big deal, especially if you put that next to Lowry, who is a knockdown shooter. You know, if you got both your big men can knock down an open shot, that's a, that's a huge deal. Mm. Yeah, with with Wendell, it, it, it kind of became a situation where while he it, it seemed like they weren't letting him take not only the C threes but even the mid range as far as like the shots that you see guys like you know Marcus Saul and um, and and even a guy like uh, Jokic um, take and not to compare them to the, him to those players as far as uh, full development is concerned, but you see these guys take these uh, at least the free throw line jumpers and. It seemed like they were trying to not allow the Bulls players to take a lot of these a lot of these shots, and and maybe got stuck in his head. Maybe that affected his confidence as well because there were times that he could have taken it and he just didn't do it because he's maybe just down on himself and his ability to knock it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I think Mark Gasol and Al Horford are, are both achievable scenarios for Wendell Carter Jr., especially when you take into account how underrated and effective a passer he is. I think that's a a component that the Bulls have yet to unlock. But it's also a good point that until Wendell is comfortable as a shooter, then he can't really maximize the ability as a passer because if he's he's not shooting, teams are just going to sag back on him. But if if he can shoot, then that's a multi-threat because then you have to worry about, hey, if you don't close out, like he can he can dish it off to others. He can act as a hub. Like I, I really do feel like if he can unlock that shot first, it's going to unlock the rest of his game, which is just really, really sound. So like if if Wendell Carter Jr. could become like a Marcus Saw, Al Horford type of player with his team, I, I really feel like that would be a really solid start to whatever Arturus Karnishevis and Mark Eversley want to do with his team. Definitely. I, I definitely think that you've got the pieces there to, you know, if, if the leadership is right, I think you've got the pieces to, I, you know, I think it takes a few years, obviously. Um, maybe because of how weak the, the East is, you can, you can surprise people next year and steal the eighth seed or something like that. But yeah, I, I mean, I think the pieces are there to build something pretty pretty legitimate. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, hey, worst case, the Bulls might dominate the uh, Delete 8 uh, bubble or whatever. I mean, maybe they will maybe they can hang a banner from that. I don't know, but we'll see. That, that's all they win lately. They win the Summer League Championship, and then they'll win the Delete 8. And that's that's all we all, all the Bulls fans had to celebrate. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Richard, it has been a pleasure having you on Bulls Gold. Can you let our listeners know where they can read your stuff, where they can listen to you at, and where they can find you on social media? 
Yeah. Um, give me a follow over at Ivanowski NBA on Twitter. There you'll find uh, my, my writing for the Sacramento Bee, for Kings Herald. Uh, you'll find my podcast for uh, Kings Pulse, all that stuff, all that good stuff. If you're interested in King stuff, uh, yeah, please check me out. All right. Salim, any final thoughts before we wrap up? Uh, no, it'll be interesting to see where this NBA season goes. I, I, I still feel like they're going to cancel it at some point again. You're, you're seeing already guys getting uh, uh, tested positive for COVID-19, and that's they haven't even been in the bubble yet. So <laughs> I'm, yeah. just, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of expecting the season to get canceled again, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that. I mean – especially if they end up doing a second bubble with the Lelite thing. But it, it feels like with every professional sports league right now, it seems it seems abundantly clear that if there weren't billions of dollars on the line, then they would have no other incentive <laughs> to do this because it just does not feel safe. It does not feel contained. And honestly, it feels like they're going to be freestyling a lot of things. I mean, I mean, God forbid if a really big player got coronavirus like the week of the NBA finals or something like that or before a crucial game seven. I mean, could you imagine the Clippers and Lakers in a playoff matchup and then game seven, LeBron James has coronavirus? I mean, yeah, that's <laughs> that's the that's a, that's the part that it comes down to. And that's why some people have been talking about asterisk season, but we'll see. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and the the Kings already have three positive tests on the roster, and then there was a fourth that may have not been a player, but someone in the traveling team. So they had to shut down the practice facility. So yeah, you know, all the press conferences are canceled too. Everything. So won't see the Kings again until they're in Orlando. Don't know exactly who's going to be there. Uh, it's such a mess, man. And yeah, obviously this is a money thing, but like it, you know. That's what the NBA is all about anyway. Like this yeah. is a business. You, you can't trust them to make any decisions about anything other than money. So it's, it's, it's definitely tough. And yeah, I, I'm definitely afraid of that too. Where like, you know, is a team just going to get a bye week if like six Clippers test, you know, positive, like what you can't have a bye week in the playoffs, like, or, you know, I, all this stuff, it, it's so confusing to me, but I will say from what I've read, it's only about eight games per team or six to eight games per team that they need to hit all their national TV contracts. And so they'll make, you know, 200 million off that. I think that's kind of the, the secret goal is just, just fulfill the TV contracts. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's going to be uh, worth keeping an eye out on and Yeah. I, I don't know if, if there is a buy, if you get if your whole team gets coronavirus, then do they just cancel the game or whatnot or just delay it? I mean, cause you're not going to trot out a team of G league players on a playoff game with, <laughs> with so much on the line. It's just, yeah, it's not gonna be make, it's not gonna make much sense. But uh, that concludes this edition of Bulls Gold on Nothing But Net Radio, part of Dash Radio. Check us out on Spotify, on iTunes, on Podbean, wherever you get your podcast, and we will catch you later, Bulls fans. Yeah.